Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. As the project takes on life and meaning for people, I'm often asked to define what it is. Is it a body positive space or a fat positive space? And the answer to both of those questions is certainly yes, but it is not just those things. The second that I define it that way, I define what's in and what's out. And I don't want to do that for this. I want this to be inclusive for all of the bodies, particularly women's bodies and the ways that women's bodies have been marginalized. I want to make space for those stories, for all of those stories. The challenge I have in that is that, like any creator, I'm coming at it from my own perspective. My perspective as a white, cisgendered, queer, fat woman. And so that perspective colors what it is that I'm drawn to say and the questions I'm drawn to ask and the stories I'm drawn to to hold space for. What's been really helpful for me in this is to stay open in the process, to hear the voices of the people around me and hear their truth and invite them to come along with me. But this is particularly important when it comes to women in thin bodies, coming from my own fat perspective. I've looked at women in thin bodies my entire life and been completely unable to understand how it is that they have any real difficulty. Because to me, from this perspective, it looks like they're granted an infinite amount of privilege. They have access to spaces that I could never seem to find my way into, and it always felt like they were given that because of the shape and size of their body. And some of that may actually be true. That's how systemic oppression works. However, it doesn't mean that they don't have a story about a way or a multitude of ways in which who they were in their skin wasn't enough. Today's interview is one such story. Today we welcome Dr. Anne, and Dr. Anne made her way to me through a mutual friend who loves the podcast and asked if I wanted to interview a woman in a thin body. I knew instantly that my answer was yes, if for no other reason than to be able to look square in the eye of my own bias about women in thin bodies. I am really, really grateful that I did. I would have missed all of the wisdom that Anne has to share if I would have allowed my own bias to persist. So Anne tells us a great story on the podcast today about being raised in a really conservative, strict religious environment, how that impacted her sense of self and her embodiment. She talks about finding her own voice and her freedom through things like roller derby and burlesque. She has run the gamut of what it means to find our voice and take up space in the world. And she's come out the other side, wise and brave and full of courage. I am so grateful for the wisdom that she shares on the podcast today. And I hope you feel the same. So without further ado, let's drop in and hear from our friend, Dr. Ann. I'm really excited. You said yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to do this. Good. So we're going to start with the question I ask everyone, and then we're just going to let it go from there. Okay. Tell me about the first time that you realized your body was different from other bodies. I've been thinking about this question all night, 
and I listen to several other yeah. interviews, and I don't have one answer because mm-hmm. I feel at different times in my life I've rediscovered mm. that there's difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it depends on the type of different. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, I felt awkward because I'm tall mm. and I was really lanky. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got compared to like being a tomboy or, um, do you remember the movie, The Dark Crystal? Mm-mm. Okay. It's one of my favorite movies, but. No, I want to go watch it. It's a Jim Henson movie. Okay. Really mystical, but there's a little creature on there called a Gelfling. Okay. And I got that all the time. The movie was popular when I was young. Okay. So, but they're very, like, tiny, sprightly, mm-hmm. gangly-looking creatures. And so my self-image was, like, maybe there's something um, special about that mm. because, you know, they're little fairy creatures. But at the same time, they're not attractive. Got it. So that was kind of... Kind of how I viewed myself as mm. aw- just awkward, and, and you know I think a lot of kids do that. Oh, totally. But I was always super tall too, and all my friends are really petite and beautiful, and yeah. So I always stood out, and there was no hiding. Do you know what? That's a great line, by the way. I always stood out. There was no hiding. Um, I am riveted by this notion that every woman I sit down with describes a group of people, girls, different from themselves. And we describe them the same way, tiny and beautiful, over and over and over. I hear it. It's the strangest thing because you you would think at some point I'd run into somebody who was like, oh, I was part of the tiny, beautiful crowd, (laughs) right? Yeah. But nobody feels like they were. Yeah. Right? We, every single one of us has a narrative that puts us outside of, um, of a real sense of belonging, certainly during adolescence. It's like... And I wonder if part of it comes from the fact that there is a real psychological thing happening that we are that we are self-differentiating. Like, we become aware that we're different from other people, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think we're... I don't want to exclude men, but particularly women, we're kind of bred with this perception of to belong, mm-hmm. you have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And when I say tiny and beautiful, for me, it's a height thing. Right. It was a sh- yeah. More than a... a you know, a, a weight. Mm-hmm. My friends are almost exclusively shorter than me, <laughs> with yeah. the exception of one yeah. who towers over me. <laughs> it's good to have that one. Yeah. <laughs> the normalizing she makes factor. makes me feel small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, and I notice that I do it myself mm-hmm. with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Just those comments where you want to build their confidence and. And we're building confidence in a very commercial way that actually isolates them and makes them feel like they have to fit this pattern yep. to be accepted. Because we praise them when they when they are any closer to that pattern. Correct. I, I do it to my kids all the time. I know better. Yep. It's not the world I want to create. And I my son recently, um, and this is about, it happens with boys too. He recently... Absolutely. Uh, started to grow a little bit and thin out through the center. Just the normal, it's a normal developmental phase for him. I, I ha- I've had to stop myself every day from praising the fact that he looks thinner. Yep. I don't care. Like, I really don't. Uh, and I don't, 
Uh, and then I also don't know what to do with it because I, I think, well, I don't want to, I don't want to think I don't notice him. Mm-hmm. I, and the, the same is true for my daughter. Since she was two years old, all, I, all she's heard um, is that she's super beautiful. I find myself calling her beautiful girl all the time. She is a beautiful girl, but she's also like a smart girl and a, you know, yeah. all these other th- it's but I I don't know how we um I would love to not do that anymore. Oh, that's difficult. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to temper it yeah. a little bit by when I when I hear myself saying, "Oh my gosh, Liza, you look beautiful today." Or, yeah. "Oh, you know, she likes to dress crazy and she's in a makeup phase, which drives me crazy. But <laughs> I also catch that moment and I'm like, but what else are you? Yeah. Because I want her to define what she thinks her strengths are. Mm. One, she's reaffirming to herself, but two, it lets me know where she needs maybe better language for me. Yeah. You know, right. brave is a big thing yeah, for her. Yeah. She's got a lot of fear about not fitting in not being the pretty one in the group Mm -hmm. or, you know, so we work on brave a Mm -hmm. lot when she accomplishes something on her own. Mm -hmm. I try to focus on, Oh my gosh, you're so brave. I'm so proud of you. I can't believe you did that. You know? So, but it's hard. And I understand the boy thing. My son's a wrestler and he has my exact frame. Mm. Very tall. He's actually taller than me now, but very tall and extremely thin. And gets picked on because he's so thin. Right. You know? Doesn't mean he's not strong. Right. We we are so quick to make a myriad of conclusions from one head-to-toe, uh, you know, intake of a, of a human being. It makes me insane. So you were tall and lanky. Mm-hmm. That was the, and so you didn't, so that was sort of your sense of not belonging. Right. Okay. Feeling like a spider. Feeling like a spider. Okay. Um, You mentioned that your son gets picked on for being tall and lanky. Did did you hear that from people? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I don't think that they felt like they were picking on me. Mm. You know, I and it was a a lot of adults. You hear, oh, don't you eat? Don't your parents feed you? Um, And, of course, you know, my mom was extremely holistic and everything was as healthy as healthy could be. So there wasn't a whole lot of excess sugar or sweet things in my house. Yeah. Um, But, of course, I ate all the time. I had access to food whenever I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And I I still eat a lot. Mm -hmm. I do not... um, I don't control that. But, you know, you get called chicken legs or... People comment on your clothes or like, mm. oh, if you were to stand sideways, we couldn't see you. Mm. And I know that those are meant to be complimentary. And so you graciously kind of like shrug your sh- shoulders and smile and be like, yep, I get it. I look like the wall. I'm aware. Mm. But it does form your your image of yourself. And then you start comparing yourself instantly to the people around you. Yep. And that doesn't really go away, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think the next big identifier for me or when I felt different is puberty. Mm -hmm. I was like 14 and I go from being tall and lanky, no figure, 
to extremely curvy and everybody thought I was a 20-year-old woman. So oh, now wow. you have a different element immediately upon you of expectation and now you can't dress like your friends anymore because it's too revealing for you to do it. Mm-hmm. Which now you're worried about how people perceive you. I once heard uh, some body positivity people talk about how the shift at puberty, um, what girls end up understanding is that their body has become something that used to be instrumental and is now ornamental. Yes. Right? And so this idea that even as you're stepping into your own sexuality, the realization that you're being sexualized by everybody around you all the time and how there really aren't great paradigms for that to fit into, into your adolescent brain, Mm -hmm. you know? So you start to respond to the attention because it is similar to the whole, um, you know, when people gave you feedback about your thin body and you were like, and you understood it as a compliment because you knew that it was closer to the ideal, Mm -hmm. right? The same happens here, I think, is that we almost... So suddenly our body becomes not our own anymore. And now it's now it's, um, it's like prey for everybody to have some perception of it, understand it as an ornament and not an instrument. Mm-hmm. I think that's extraordinarily damaging and scary, you know? Does it, how did it... Do you remember how it felt, that place in your life? Um, I just felt like I couldn't please everybody Mm. you know you're to me my body was a vehicle that got me from one point to the other point and it's my job to take care of that vehicle right make sure it's running correctly right um I had I mean oddly enough clearly my career is you know preventative health care practitioner I was raised that way Mm -hmm. I was a raised around naturopaths and chiropractors and my mom was very uh, preventative and holistic. So I felt like I always had a really healthy view of what my body should be. Mm-hmm. And it switched all of a sudden, mm. you know, to, to wear one outfit the week before and come down in it to go to school and have people like, oh, no, you can't. Nope, you can't wear that. Go upstairs and change. Well, why not? It had to be shame-inducing. What what changed in me, you know? Um, And so you play this very tedious game of if I wear what I like and what makes me feel comfortable, am I going to offend somebody else? Mm. Or is somebody else going to think I am doing it to either get a certain type of attention or to make other people feel bad? And it's just this, it's a mental mindfuck. Mm-hmm. What, when do I get to make choices that make me comfortable? Because I know I do my best to make everybody around me feel loved. That's so good. But how do you, you know, how do you navigate that at 14? You don't. And, <laughs> and being out at the mall with my sisters who are just, ridiculously gorgeous women mm-hmm. and you know they're older than me my my sister Danielle is five years older and my sister Tara is seven years older but we we were all we had people did not understand how we were raised they didn't understand um, our family mm-hmm. so 
we were always together. Mm -hmm. So then people lump you in with, oh, well, you got to be 20, maybe 19. And they're saying things to this very naive, non-sexual 14-year-old that I'm just like, "Um, is that... Is that a compliment? Is that funny? Right. Do I speak up for myself? Right. Am I going to get in trouble? Like, I have no idea what's happening. What did you do with that? What do you, how do you think that played out? What, what, what was your adolescent response? I learned to be quiet. Mm. To not respond. So you were silenced in that. Yeah. Um, so sort of take me to the next milestone in your, the story about you and your body. Um... How I feel about my body, I guess that next milestone would have been after childbirth. Um, just the dealing with the change. Mm-hmm. Being, I don't like it to, to say, I'm trying to think how to word this because I don't view myself as a small person mm-hmm. or skinny. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these conversations, I've realized, oh, okay, I understand that is maybe how I'm viewed by other people. That's not how I you experience feel about yourself. Myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, because my size is how I feel I can function the best. Right. I have been smaller, mm-hmm. and I have been larger, mm-hmm. but how I can move through space and time. Mm-hmm. This size is what suits me the best and this is the size that legitimately takes no effort for me right um, but after I had my first child being so small mm-hmm. you know you just everything's different mm-hmm. everything is my skin is thinner and I was 24 when I had my son and I remember um, a couple of years after I had him I was dating somebody who I'd known my whole life and I thought we were such good friends and I really adored this man. Something switched and we ended up breaking up for his own personal reasons. Um, But he sent me a slew of text messages like, yeah, you're really beautiful with clothes on, but once you take the clothes off, you can just totally see you're a mom and I I was so distraught by that that one I was like what a horrible thing to say because yes he was a father right so sorry your body doesn't break open right to create your child right but that's beyond my control yeah you know and so then I started overthinking like well once again it goes back to dressing am I dressing in a way that makes me seem like Mm. you know the the package underneath is different than what they're Mm. am I representing myself falsely Mm -hmm. so that was another big kind of pivotal moment and I closed in and and just really didn't date so you get quiet in, in response to oh, the, yeah. yeah. So like it gets challenged did, who you are. I did Got get it. quiet. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Fast okay. tense. You did get quiet in response to any challenge about your presence oh, yeah. in the world. 
Yeah. Where do you think insecure. the Where do you think the dressing thing came from? Like that you connected the way you put clothes on your body. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I was raised in a very uh, strict mm-hmm. religious environment. Sure. Okay. So it was a really strict religious organization, and n- no disrespect to the organization for those who are either religious or will know immediately what I'm talking about, but it was always put on the woman to be submissive and modest. Mm. And so it was always my responsibility Mm. how I made other people feel about my appearance. Oh, sure. So for me, I think... That's probably where that came from. Yeah. Is, oh, no, that's, there's too much boob. You Got need it. to go change. And, and it your... wasn't just your parents. My parents were pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. It, anybody in that organization could come up and say those things to mm. you. Anybody in that organization could really judge you or criticize you as if they were your parents. So... You have a whole community of voices mm-hmm. telling you, if you don't dress this way, these things won't happen. Mm. And now that, of course, just sends so much rage through my body to hear, right. because we're not making everybody responsible for their own feelings, for their own responses and reactions. We're making women responsible for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is normally the point where I get called a feminist (laughs) and the conversation changes. Well, you know, I welcome said changes, but um, I I do want to, I just want to try to, because this always happens, man, of talking in circles with folks, which I really like, actually, the fact that these conversations are not linear. Um, But I do want to make sure I have some fidelity to the timeline for you. So... You, um, so you got very quiet mm-hmm. after this breakup. Yeah. Okay. Take me to the next milestone for you. Who? Um. Because you're not that, I mean, as you described that version of you, it's not the version I've met. So. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> so something happened in between. So the next milestone is, um, jump forward probably six years. And now my sisters and I are no longer part of that organization. Like, we had all left at different times. Mm -hmm. But now all three of us at the same time are no longer affiliated with that organization anymore. Um, And my sister Danielle always has these really huge ideas. And... um, it's, they just become all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first big idea was uh, my son was probably four, and he, she said, hey, I want to start a roller derby team. And I'm thinking, I'm tiny. I'm going to get killed. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. She's, my other two sisters are substantially larger mm-hmm. than me, uh, or were at that time. But I was struggling with some health issues and nobody could give me answers. And so I was kind of like, 
okay, it'll either kill me or it's going to make me stronger. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. And we started doing that. And I, that was the, like the first phase where I realized I was a lot stronger Mm. physically than I allowed myself to think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great. So the idea of your frailty was really self-imposed on some level that like prior to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Women are delicate flowers who need to be taken care of. Until they put on some skates. (laughs) Get out with some other women and some roller derby. I have never seen so much just unadulterated anger Mm. as a group of moms with three hours to do nothing but push each other around with so much camaraderie and respect Mm -hmm. like all the things that you know get said or done and all the responsibilities you take on not even knowing you're doing that yep just create so much internal stress Mm -hmm. and we're all doing our best to choke it down so we can put on the smile and take care of the kids and feed our family and go to work and juggle 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 and then you get in a space with people who they they don't care what you look like. Mm-hmm. They don't care if you made your kids lunch that day or if you sent them to school with, you know, some cheese sticks and a bag of fruit. Right. Just whatever. And you get to unleash all of that in a really healthy caring environment which is not what I anticipated when when we started this endeavor mm-hmm. you know that and is not at all what I thought would happen but there are some amazing lifelong relationships that were created mm-hmm. from that moment women who I speak to almost every day live really? all over the country yeah uh, I probably would still be doing it, but I took a really, really bad hit and I had a seizure because of the health problems I'd had. Mm-hmm. And so my sisters and my dad happened to be at the game that day, which was not good. Not good. <laughs> but the, all of them kind of were like, nope, no more. Mm-hmm. We can't worry about what's going on. So, you know, I switched from playing to coaching. Um, And that was great. That probably reaffirmed my choice to focus on structure Mm -hmm. as a a way of conveying what health is as opposed to size or Mm. um, appearance because it it honestly does not matter what you look like on the outside so Mm -hmm. much as how you're functioning in your daily life and what you look like on the inside. You know, there's a huge difference. Um... And so that probably was a good jumping point for me. So is that where that, where that focus, um, is it when you kind of, when that ended your time with the roller derby, not coaching, mm-hmm. right? What do you say? Like, were you playing? Playing. Thank you. I was looking for the verb. It's <laughs> like, is it a game? I don't know. I've not done it. Yeah, it's, well, it's about, but that's It's about. Okay. okay. It's good. See, I, I don't know the vernacular of roller derby. <laughs> okay. um, so when you finish playing roller derby, so is that when you had this shift, this shift, this, a health shift there or? Uh, yeah, I think I probably had my first health shift 
as far as learning that I was a lot stronger mm -hmm. than I thought. Mm -hmm. I could endure a lot more and I could push my body a lot farther. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably the first phase okay. of that. What was phase two? Um, phase two would be baby two. Oh, okay. Second baby um, was a lot harder at 30 to have a baby mm -hmm. than it was in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, and both kids were natural, childbirth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I felt things a lot more with the second baby. <laughs> and the bounce back took a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So, and that, you know, that was another area where I felt, um, I didn't, I didn't have to, to wear traditional maternity clothes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, clearly I dress kind of like a gypsy anyways, everything's baggy, but I could wear my normal blue jeans and just tie a rubber band around the buckle and mm -hmm. call it good. Mm -hmm. um, and once again, people would make comments trying to be complimentary, but it wasn't. It wasn't a compliment to be like, oh my gosh, you're such an asshole because you don't even have to buy maternity clothes. Okay. I'm growing a baby the same way you're growing the baby. Gosh, yeah. I've talked to other moms. I have a, in fact, the next interview today, um, she had a baby, but she was on originally uh, when she was pregnant, and she's in a tiny body, and she tells the, and I had never, it, again, fat body bias, I have no idea, you know? And so she told this story about, it was constant. Like, people would say things like, I wouldn't even know you were pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, right? And for somebody who struggles to get pregnant, like, that, I wasn't supposed to, be able to carry. My first pregnancy was extremely traumatic. Um, so the idea of having another baby, there's seven years between my kids. Yeah. And there was not one like, oh no, I could be pregnant. I, I never had to worry about being pregnant because I was constantly told it, your, your body's not really going to allow those things to happen. Mm -hmm. So both of my kids were surprised seven years apart. Mm -hmm. And I think that was due to a lot of life changes, a lot of shifting my mindset mm -hmm. and creating health physically and mentally and socially for myself. Mm -hmm. And it stars align both times and I was able to get pregnant mm -hmm. and carry mm -hmm. because I have had miscarried several children. Mm -hmm. So um, to hear those things when you know how difficult and how rare it is to be able to carry. It's kind of like just a constant putting you in your place, you know? And I know people don't mean it. It's, that's not the intent typically. No. But we don't always have a full picture of everybody's backstory. Mm -hmm. So what would be totally normal to say, you know, to you, mm -hmm. to me might just cause me to, start crying and think, oh, I'm totally worthless. As you were talking, I had this, I had a little bit of rage light up inside of me because I, it, uh, of course I've thought about this before, but, um, but it really hit me when you were talking. What is it, what, what is it that the world or whoever, what's with the running commentary on women's bodies, like in any stage? Like, I, again, I think that fat body bias, I assumed that it was because of the deviation from the norm. But the more that I talk about it with women, I'm like, 
We literally, every single one of us, are, we're constantly being policed by commentary about our bodies, whether they're thin or pregnant or... What? Like, leave my body alone. It's not, it isn't, it isn't yours to, it isn't yours. It doesn't belong to anybody but you, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, and I don't mean to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the, my experience, the most of the critiques that I get negatively Mm -hmm. are from women. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Yes. I mean, men will say disgusting things. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other uh, storyline, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But most of the snarky, um, passive-aggressive, judgy commentary is from other women. And usually from other women I love and know. Mm. And I hear myself do it sometimes, too. And I have to be like, mm, that did not come out the way it was rolling around in my brain. Totally. I get that too. I have a new rule with myself. I've started to write about it at some point. It'll be a blog. Why I won't weigh in about your weight. Um, because, and it's just not done yet. It's not done baking, right? It's been in like multiple forms. Someday it will be released. But, uh, but because of exactly that, I don't know a damn thing about your story. I have no idea. I have no idea whether or not the 40 pounds you've lost, you've lost because you're depressed or grieving or anxious. And I certainly do not want to tell you that you're better now than you were 40 pounds heavier when you were happier. I'm not going to weigh in about your weight. So even if you've publicly told the world that you've lost a hundred pounds because you did a keto diet, congratulations. But I'm not, I, I have no idea what it cost you. I don't know what it costs your health. I don't know what it costs your well-being. I don't know what it costs your ability to enjoy your life and experience pleasure. I have no idea. So I'm not going to reinforce it. And I, I think if I could start to apply that to bodies in general, like I constantly am talking about how I want people to see people, mm-hmm. just to see the whole human. Yep. Anyway, I'm having a moment over here about the no, constant commentary. That's, that's actually beautiful. I... I try really hard unless I'm speaking with a patient mm-hmm. in a healthcare setting and they're asking me specific questions. Hey, doc, I'm stalling out here. Hey, right. doc, what's going to take me to the next level? And my comment is always that this is a lifelong effort. Mm-hmm. It's not a 28-day cleanse. It's not the right. three months you know, you're going to spend in keto. This is a decision you need to make every day and you need to know why. So what's your why? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do it? Is it to fit in a dress? I'm not going to help you with that. Yep. Because that is not strong enough to make you stick to these decisions Mm -hmm. day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And you and I talked when we met for coffee about um, weighing in and, and weight conversations. I know so many people who are visually ideal mm-hmm. body structure visually is ideal they're severely malnourished they are working out and they're not putting the right kind of and the right quantity of food in to keep their body healthy so mm-hmm. what's the cost of that you can fit into that dress but your gallbladder doesn't work you haven't pooped solid in what a year 
Like these are big problems. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about this. We talk about what they look out on the outside and not on the inside. Yep. So, and I have to be reminded of that too, because as I told you, I don't really fluctuate more than five to ten pounds mm-hmm. um, in a year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I eat. And I have to fight that, particularly, you know, as a healthcare practitioner. I have to fight that. And I have to remember if I can't do it in my own life, how can I tell you to do it? Right. So if I, um, I have a friend who kind of laid into me the other day about protein. I'm not a big meat eater, so my protein is low. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you've been feeling tired and you've not been sleeping right. List, list, list. He said, Annie, how much protein are you eating? I'm like, I'm, you know, probably like 50 to 60 grams a day. He's like, um, that's half of what you need. Mm-hmm. You know this. This isn't new information. And so, you know, you, you, even, you can have all the right information. Yeah. And still just not remember why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to be healthy? Not why do you want to be thin or why do you want to look a certain way why do you want to be healthy and it and it should be at the service of your life mm-hmm. so you can live and I don't mean live long I'm not even talking about longevity I I meet so many people who um they're and myself included I spent two decades being obsessed constantly with what I was putting in my mouth or what I wasn't and how much I was in a gym it was 80 percent of what consumed my either my thoughts or my actual time mentally how were you during that I was a time sh- I was a shit show I wasn't present to anything I wasn't living I and I um and the irony is the difference between I mean and this is a fairly new way of living for me to not be constantly policing my body and my movement and my food constantly policing it and the difference is like three pounds difference Seriously, for three, I mean, whatever else is going on with me physically, for three, I, for three pounds uh, to give me back the life that I now have because I'm not obsessing about my next fix, the next thing I'm going to fix, it's remarkable I would do it any day of the week, you know? You have to have balance. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand how your body utilizes mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. and how to best feed it mm-hmm. so you can live your best life. Right. But you also have to allow for the fact that you're human mm-hmm. and living in a militant mindset mm-hmm. for sake of a scale yep. is going to drive you crazy. Yes. And that, you know, that's... that. Then people start down that road of... You know, food avoidance, food restriction, bulimia, anorexia. And this isn't just women. This is women and men. And it's starting younger and younger and younger. So to be totally healthy, you have to be mentally and socially healthy as well as physically. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we focus too much on just the physical and we don't pay attention to the other two. And we don't ask people. About the other two. No, we don't. It's not even on most, you know, exam forms. And if it is, it's a question like, do you feel safe? Yeah. Are you depressed? I mean, 
Come on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real human connection. You know, I just recently read, well, it was about six months ago, I read a study that said that um, obesity, smoking, and loneliness are equal predictors of, of mortality. We're not talking about loneliness. I mean, where's the loneliness ap- epidemic, right? Yeah. This idea that we crave human connection in a way that um, makes us healthier when we engage in it. I can't tell you how many times I remember being on restrictive diets and I couldn't go do anything or be around people because I didn't want to be around food, mm-hmm. right? Because I was afraid to be around There's food. There's your lonely component. Totally. There's your lonely epidemic. We yes. have to isolate ourselves right? because we don't have always a supportive group of people right. who understand what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They haven't taken the time to talk and be like, okay, well... We can, we can make healthy food choices mm-hmm. and still be social. Right. So we start to isolate. Mm-hmm. And then we have those comorbidities of depression and mm-hmm. anxiety and, and social avoidance. Yep. That's why all these things get linked. It's mm-hmm. not the only factor. I know I'm going to get a bunch of flack for saying that. But it's not the only factor. But it, there's a correlation. And, and so then the next venture was, let's do something body positive. How can we do body positive and still have it be fun? And, and it's, everybody in, interprets it differently, but we started a burlesque troupe, I guess, for lack of um, better language. And it started out just a small group of women, and we would meet, and we would come up with, like, dance routines and... and try to get past our comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And this started all of us showing up in like sweatpants and t-shirts and, you know, and you had to get to the point where you could do any of these movements in a bra or a bikini and be okay with it. And I remember all of us like stripping down to bras and underwears in front of this giant mirror and it was probably size two to size 18 with that first group of women. Mm. And we were all very close and just staring at yourself. Yeah. And it was so much easier to try to divert your eyes and like look at the other people and pay them compliments to build their confidence than just look in the mirror at yourself and be like, yeah, what, what's the big deal with this? You know, totally. Let me just interrupt for a second, I, because this is so. This is one of the things I talk to women individually about a lot. Um, I watch women. I, I'm mindful of it because I used to do it all the time. I used to check my body quickly in reflective surfaces yeah. and look away quickly. So when this whole process started for me, there was something in me, some sort of innate wisdom in me that said, "You have to sit with your body. You have to put hands on it. You have to look at it." Because there was something about that quick glance and the judgment and then just move on, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't even really know how I looked, honestly. Like You're conditioning yourself. Totally. And so um, at the beginning of this process for me, I would sit. At first, I started with just the word fat as a descriptor as opposed to something that had something to do with my virtue or anything besides a descriptor of of tissue on my body, right? Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, I just started to spend time with my reflection. And there's nothing as freeing as taking your clothes off. There's just nothing as freeing as going, this is who, 
I'm not going to hide from it anymore. And it's not, it's not as terrifying as you think it's going to be. Oh, it's, I was pretty terrified. <laughs> I think it's really hard, but I think what, I think what I mean by that is on the other side of it, well, at least for me, I didn't, the things that I thought I might discover about myself, and I'm not even sure I could define for you what those were. They were just really awful. Mm -hmm. I didn't find out. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't find those things on the other side of actually taking in my reflection. Yeah. And so, t absolutely terrifying, yes. But the fear, it was unfounded. It was like a ghost. I got to the other side and went, and it's not that bad. What? No. In the beginning, it was terrifying because I was hearing all the comments um, that I had heard, you know, through, yeah. through the process of life and, and having children and commentary on what your body should look like. Yeah. Somebody, everybody always thinks they have the right to tell you, yeah. to tell you, mm -hmm. not just to think it. You can think about me whatever you want. I, I genuinely, it doesn't bother me. I don't want to say I don't care because I do care about what people think, yeah. but it doesn't bother me anymore. And yeah. that's probably what I got from that. Yeah. Um, but I was terrified in the beginning. I'm looking at myself and I'm like, oh God, there's hideous stretch marks all across my boobs and my stomach. And oh man, I should start doing squats again because mm. yeah, maybe I'm small, but I'm not, you know, gravity is not necessarily my friend. <laughs> so it was, it was real awkward and everybody was really uncomfortable and we're kind of all avoiding eye contact. Um, and then as it progressed and we started performing, you know, it was so liberating. It was nothing to, to have a group of, you know, 20 women and like maybe 30 or 40 different people who are stagehands or production or ticket takers, spouses. Mm -hmm. And you're just walking around like no big deal. Like if you have a problem with this, don't look at it. Right. But this is normal. Right. And everybody. I Buddy on that stage was normal and we were all active mm -hmm. no matter our size mm -hmm. do you know how hard it is to to dance for two hours or do slapstick comedy or contortion or uh you know silks because mm -hmm. everybody did something different mm -hmm. and it takes so much strength mm -hmm. so to assume that the thinnest people on that stage were the healthiest is wrong my yeah. sister Danielle is um, structurally bigger than me. Mm -hmm. She weighs more than me. And she's stronger than me, mm -hmm. which drives me crazy to say. <laughs> but she works out doing aerial every day. Mm. And so her core is so strong. And that weight is necessary. That muscle mass is necessary for her body to function the way that it does. Say it a little louder for the people in the back. <laughs> Because your body is here to move you in Correct. and through the world and through the life that you have. That's why it's here. Yeah. It is not here to please every fucking person around you. No, I heard somebody refer to it uh, at a seminar as a meat suit. Mm -hmm. it, it serves a purpose. Yes. Can you live your purpose with your body yes. the way that it is? Right. If not, how can we help? Right. What can we do? Right. Yes. Which, would you say that that's your definition of health? Um, my definition, yeah. yeah, functionality. Okay. Absolutely. Um, one of the best definitions is actually by the World Health Organization, and mm -hmm. it is the complete, uh, 
well-being physically, mentally, and socially that mm. dictates health. You need, you must have all three. It's not the absence of disease. It's not the absence of ailments. It is how you can function in your life. Hmm. That's so damn good. I'm like, our work here is done. Let's just tell (laughs) everybody in the world that, and they'll all believe it, and then we can just all hang out. If it was only that easy. I know. (laughs) I know. Well, then I... I would have to find a new purpose in life, so <laughs> let's not get let's not get too crazy. Um, you and me both. Yeah, I'd right. Be out of a job. Yeah, right. Yeah, you would. Um, so we're kind of wrapping here. Two things I want to talk about. Yeah. The first thing is I want I I do want to know if um, three things. So we're not quite done. That's okay. Um, I do want you to sort of complete the burlesque story. Okay. Okay. And then I want you to talk about how you landed in the profession that you landed in. Mm-hmm. And then if there's anything else you want to say. So that's what's coming up next. Okay. okay. So burlesque. So come, burlesque. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that was intense. Mm-hmm. And also something very beautiful to share with a group of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, it is controversial. Yeah. So, you know, we got a lot of flack. Um, people confuse the purpose of burlesque so if you go back historically women used their bodies Mm -hmm. to convey messages because they weren't allowed to comment politically or socially or even about their own freaking children Mm. they had no control of what was going on in their homes unless you know by some small miracle they had a really really progressive spouse or they were the one with the money and their spouse depended on them for financial well-being. Mm-hmm. So women started using their body mm-hmm. to, you know, in, in ways of satire mm. to gain a voice. And so that's what really we thought we were, were bringing was a way to kind of reclaim a voice and let women know everybody. My, my sister Tara, uh, she was the MC. And she would start every show and talk about the importance of understanding that we are all perfectly imperfect Mm. and that it's okay to laugh at us up on the stage because that's what we're here for. It's okay to love it or hate it, but we are willing to put that out there. We're willing to let you know this is normal. Mm -hmm. My size six body is normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I have a beautiful friend named Minnie. You know, her, her plus-size body is normal mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. She's extremely healthy. Mm-hmm. It's what you can do with it. So let us bring a sense of commonality that once you leave those doors, once you leave the show, you're going to have to fight for so enjoy it while you can. Mm. Don't come in with uh, some predisposition or, you know, it's not for everybody. And that's fine. But it was such a, a life-changing experience mm-hmm. all across the board. And I took my son to almost every practice. And at the time, he was, you know, probably seven. Mm-hmm. And so he grew up with 
varying degrees of female and male form. Um, and understanding that a naked body is just a naked body. Right. There's nothing to fear. Right. There's nothing to criticize. It is what it is. You're the only person that can change it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was really valuable experience and it changed how I viewed um, just myself, what I was comfortable with. I no longer worried, oh, is my shirt too tight? Is, you know, do I have too much cleavage showing? Is somebody going to get offended that my pants are too tight or too loose? Which, mm. you know, for me prior, it was all overalls and flannel shirts mm. in high school and mm-hmm. my 20s. So I think that was another pivotal piece of me not being silent anymore. Got it. But with that came all of the anger from years of not standing up for myself, Hmm. years of not saying what I felt I deserved. So probably the latter half of my life, the last 10 years, people who are involved in my life get a lot of information, probably more than they want. (laughs) But that's part of my experience. Well, yeah. And we can't, I suppose we can silence our voices forever, but I think it makes us sick. Oh, yeah. So um, I love the idea that you're just making up for lost time, really. Just got to temper it. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Not here, you don't. Yeah, I, I try. I can be a little intense. <laughs> intense women are my favorite. So, um, okay, so that was burlesque. Yeah. I don't remember the second question. How did you land in the profession you landed? Oh, in chiropractic? Yeah. Um, well... I swore I would never be a chiropractor. I grew up in a very preventative healthcare family. Mm-hmm. I actually originally started school for physical therapy, uh, but it was limited and even more limited for females at the time as far as enrollment and graduation rates. Um, even chiropractors, there's men still outnumber mm-hmm. female uh, chiropractors, partic- particularly individual business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, but my aunt was a chiropractor, mm-hmm. and I grew up getting care through her. Um, and somebody asked me a really important question, and, and it's sad because this person and I have parted ways recently, and it breaks my heart, but, you know, we have to, we have to allow people to come and go as they need from our life. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I, I was injured and I was waiting to be called in for the uh, doctor of physical therapy program at, at St. Ambrose because there's a wait list. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Annie, why are you waiting to be a physical therapist? Why don't you just go to Palmer? He was a chiropractor, mm-hmm. is a chiropractor. Um, and I said, because I bartended in this town forever and I have my own experience with chiropractic students um, and that's Mm. never go to Palmer. Gotcha. And he's like, well, I think you need to weigh your options. I think you need to see what you can do with your license as a chiropractor versus a physical therapist and maybe you can help chiropractic change. Mm. And so I, I started looking at things and I did have more freedom for diagnosing and patient care 
individually as a primary care physician mm-hmm. through chiropractic than through physical therapy at the time. I know rules are constantly changing. Um, and I toured Palmer as an adult with you know two children and a spouse, and um, it, it felt different. The paradigm fit, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is something I want to do. Um, and while I was at Palmer, I, and through that prior uh, doctor I was talking about, had found something called chiropractic biophysics, which redefines chiropractic. Uh, it goes beyond chiropractic from intersegmental adjusting to understanding your structure as a whole. Where is it stable? Where is it unstable? How does it function? Mm. How can you change the function to increase and optimize your health long term? Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me. And so I kind of just jumped all in between, you know, helping run the club on campus and going to seminars as I could. And I have maintained that uh, technique mm-hmm. out, you know, out of Palmer and into my practice. How can people find you? Um, you can find me on Facebook. Okay. Um, it's MEND, M-E-N-D, Chiropractic and Wellness. Okay. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I have a website by the same name. Okay. So. It's important to me that people know, um, if anything, you know, I'm confident that your message will resonate certainly with women locally, and I just want them to be able to find you if they need to. Yeah, and, uh, I'm just in the process of opening my own office. I was helping run a practice for the last year and a half that was extremely high volume, and and I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was time to branch out on my own. Awesome. So, That's really good. Yeah, I'm excited. Is there anything else that you want to add for the good of the people? Is there anything that you feel like we missed about, I mean, is there anything you want women to know about their bodies or... Um, any final, there doesn't have to be, but is there any final message you want to leave people with? Particularly right now with, for me personally, I feel the climate is higher than it has ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we all need to, I hear, you know, just be kind. If you can't find a kind person, be a kind person. How about learn to be kind to yourself? Because when you acknowledge that you have value, no matter what level you're at, no matter what state you're at, that you can learn to appreciate your value. You stop letting people devalue you. And then it just becomes uh, natural. Mm -hmm to push the people in your life mm-hmm. to be kind to themselves. And it ideally, mm-hmm. you know, makes us stronger and, and builds a stronger community. And that's the only way we make change. I would be fine being out of a job. I would be okay with that because there's lots of other things I can do. Yeah. Uh, if it meant that my community was healthier, mm-hmm. functioned better, and treated one another better. Mm. So how do we get there? How do we all help each other with that? And I think 
truly, we have to learn to do those things personally for ourselves. Yeah. So. That's so good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was great. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Dr. Anne. She said at least a million genius, wise, grounded things about her understanding of herself in her body and how that grew and changed over time and how it responded to having babies. In particular, I love the way that she understands health and its connection to our embodiment. This idea that our body is here to serve a purpose in the world. It's here to function and it might function best at a size 18. That might be what I need in order to do the work that I'm doing. It might be the case at a size 28. I don't know. I don't get to make that decision for everybody else, but I have a responsibility to make it for me in relationship to what I know and feel in my body. That is genius. That is the foundation of what we're talking about here at the project. I also loved the burlesque scene, the one where they all stand in front of a mirror and take their clothes off, and it's so much easier to not look themselves in the eye, to not take in their body. That has been my experience in so many different ways at so many different times, and so much of my own healing has come from making peace with my reflection in the mirror, staring at it, laying hands on my big belly, and understanding that it serves a purpose. And that regardless of its size and shape, I'm still lovable. But I don't know that if I don't take in that reflection, it was such a beautiful imagery for me to think of all those women lined up, making peace with their bodies. It's something that I want more of for me, and it's something that I certainly want more of for you. So if you think you might want to hear more stories from women about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging... Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave us a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about The Beautiful Project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.